Um, If you take your Bibles, please, and open to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verse 25 this morning. Now, the last four weeks we've been studying Advent, and we've been looking at four simple truths, okay? So this week I took pastor's privilege, and I want to just extend it one week, um, because I think it's important that we make one really clear connection in all of these truths we've been sharing in Advent, which I'll get to in just a second. But this Advent season, we, these are our four truths. The first one is that God speaks to his people through Jesus. The book of Hebrews opens with, the, with this truth that God has spoken in many times in many ways um, through the prophets in history. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And so the second truth we looked at at Advent is that God comes to his people, that God pursues his people and comes to them to being a loving covenant relationship with them through the Lord Jesus. And so the whole Old Testament is a love story of God pursuing his people, finding its fulfillment in Jesus. The third truth is that God saves his people through Jesus, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice given not just for a family like the Passover or for an individual like Abraham or even for a nation like on the Day of Atonement, but Jesus is the sacrifice for the world. He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And then we looked last week that God reigns over his people through Jesus, that Jesus is the long-awaited king and Messiah. He is a better king than David, a better king than anyone we could ever hope for, though he's not the king we might have expected because he's the king who lays down his life for his people. And one day he's returning and he will fulfill the promise where he will sit on the throne of David and reign forever and ever. Well, this morning we're going to ask the question, well, If those are all true, God speaks, God comes, God saves, and God reigns, the question you might ask, well, what is Jesus doing right now? What is he doing right now? Is he just sitting around, waiting on the Father to send him back? Is he just twiddling his thumbs and humming kumbaya? Is that what Jesus is doing? No. The New Testament is clear. That after Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave and ascended, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now interceding for his people. He is serving right now as our faithful high priest interceding on behalf of his people. That's what Jesus is doing. So look at Hebrews chapter 7. Um, which this whole chapter is about Jesus being a better high priest. And look at verse 25. He says there, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let me read that again. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I have two points this morning that I want to go through out of our text, and then I will try to apply it to our lives. And here's the first one. I want you to notice that Jesus is able as our high priest. Jesus is able as our high priest. It says there in verse 25, consequently, it says there again, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God by him. Now, let me begin by reminding you that as we come to this text, we have to put ourselves 
um, we have to put ourselves in the place of a first century Jewish reader who would have understood what the job and role of the high priest was in the life of Israel. The most important function of the high priest, the most important function of the high priest was to perform the most sacred offering of the year for the Jewish nation on the Day of Atonement. That was his primary job. You can find the details of this in Leviticus 16 and 23. I'm going to just summarize it for you. That's a good place for an amen, so I don't read to you two whole chapters out of the Old Testament. And so here is what the Day of Atonement was in regards to the high priest. The Day of, the, the day of Atonement was the most holy day of the year for Israel. It was the only day of the year that the high priest was allowed to go past the curtain in the temple into the Holy of Holies. Um, it was the place, the Holy of Holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept with the two tablets containing the Ten Commandments. And it was the place where the presence of God dwelled in a cloud between the cherubim that overshadowed the Ark just above the mercy seat. And it was on this day that the high priest would go in and make atonement for the entire nation of Israel. But the high priest had to undergo a certain ritual before he could do this. He had to prepare himself for this day. Before the high priest could go in, he had to offer a sacrifice first for his own sin. You see, every high priest was a sinner just like you and me, that had to be cleansed before, before he could go into the Holy of Holies. He had to bathe himself and put on the high priestly garments that, and the breastplate that had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. This was because his job was to offer a sacrifice as a representative for the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes. His job was to represent all of God's people before the Lord and make intercession for Him. Now, I want you to know that this was an incredibly dangerous job. So dangerous that the high priest wore bells that jingled so that those outside the curtain could hear whether or not he was still moving around or whether God had killed him. It was also dangerous because it was so dangerous that he went in with a rope tied around his waist so that if God did strike him down in the Holy of Holies, they would have a way to drag his corpse out of there. It was not an envious job. These are God's instructions. Let me just give you God's instructions out of Leviticus here about the high priest. Aaron was the first high priest with Moses. Listen to what God says to him. Aaron shall present a bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Notice the repetition. Hey, Aaron, this is for you, bro, because you're a sinner. You, you're, not, you're not worthy to walk into the Holy of Holies. God will kill you. He says, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and shall bring it inside the veil. That's behind the curtain. And he shall put the incense on the fi a fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, that's the two tablets, so that he does not die. 
And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, on the east side, and in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus shall he make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. That was the job of the high priest. Each year, the high priest had to do this. Every year, year after year after year after year, because the people kept sinning, and so did the priests. And this is the background that we come to in Hebrews 7. So let's look at the text. Look at the text. Why is Jesus a better high priest than all of those high priests that came before him? And why is he able to do what none of those high priests were ever able to do? Well, look at our text. It says there, it says uh, consequently there at the beginning of verse 25. And so that means you need to take all of the context In light of all of what I've said, consequently, he's a better high priest. So let me give you six reasons Jesus is a better high priest. Number one, first, because Jesus is from the line of Melchizedek and not Aaron. Now you might go, what does that even mean? Okay, well the high priest had to come from the line of Aaron, had to come from the tribe of Levi. He couldn't come from any other tribe, but Jesus is high priest, Jesus is a high priest outside of that line because he was he he was made a high priest um, he was made a high priest before the law was even given concerning the high priest look at verses 15 through 18 look at the reason that the author gives he says for on the one hand sorry I gotta begin in verse 15 this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He doesn't come according to the law, according to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. All right, so what this means is, is that Jesus is coming with a different priesthood, one that actually predates the law and one that is eternal. Second reason, Jesus' priesthood came with an oath from God himself. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says there, and he says, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So here it is. To be a Levite, you had to be born as a Levite. If you were from another tribe, you would never be a priest. And if you you didn't take an oath to be a priest, you were simply born a priest. But Jesus took the very oath of God and God made him a priest. Third. Jesus' priesthood came with a new and better covenant by his own blood, not the blood of bulls or goats. Look at verse 22. 
it says, and this makes Jesus the guarantor, the grantor, grantor, that's a hard word to say, of a better covenant. Now, here's what this is. Jesus comes in bringing the new covenant. And you can go read about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36, but the point was that Jesus comes in and does not offer the blood of bulls or goats to make this covenant. No, he offers himself. If you remember on the night he was betrayed, the night of the Passover meal, he took the cup and the bread and he lifted it before his, before his disciples and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you. This is my blood. I am shedding my blood, bringing a new and better covenant. This is, the, this is the blood of the new covenant. But notice number four, that Jesus offered his sacrifice. What makes him a better priest is that Jesus offered his sacrifice in the true temple before the Father, not the earthly temple. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, and he says, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. So what this means is all of the other priests lived and, lived and offered their sacrifices in the earthly temple. But Jesus goes in to the heavenly temple before the Father to make his Full and final sacrifice for us. You see, the temple was just a shadow. The Old Testament temple was just a shadow of the real. After all, when Moses had a vision of it and God says, make the temple or, the, or the, make the tabernacle after the pattern that you've seen in the vision. So Moses sees the true temple in heaven and makes a model of it on earth. Jesus goes into the real temple to offer his blood. But there's another reason that Jesus' priesthood is better. Number five, Jesus' priesthood isn't stained by sin or death. Look at verse 23 of chapter 7. Verse 23 says this. He says, the former priests were many in number. Well, of course they were. Why were they many in number? He says, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The the priests couldn't keep representing the people because they kept dying themselves. Because their lives are stained by sin and death. But look at verses 26 and 27. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no priests. He has no need, sorry, like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. Look what he says. He has, no, he has no need to offer sacrifices daily um, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So, Jesus doesn't die. He doesn't have any of his own sins to atone for. But notice sixth, Jesus is a better priest because he, his priesthood continues forever. His priesthood continues forever because of who he is. Look at verse 24. He says there, But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now look at verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
You see, Jesus is the perfect high priest because he is unstained by sin and he is the eternal Son of God. And it is for these reasons, these are just six of the reasons listed here, that when you get to verse, seven, verse 27, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Look what the text says. It says, consequently, verse 25, where we are in our text today, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. It is for these reasons he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, uttermost means several things. It means first, totally and completely. Jesus is able to save totally and completely. There is no part of us, there is no part of you that Jesus does not save. There is no work left for Jesus to do in regards for our salvation. It is done, it is completely done and finished. He is able to save totally and completely those who come to Him. But He's also able to save forever. That's what uttermost means. It means he is able to save forever. If you were able to be taken out of the hand of Jesus, you were able to lose what Jesus had promised to do, then he would not be able to save to the uttermost. He would be able to save to that end. But it says that he's able to save forever. He saves us forever. He will not lose one of his children. Our assurance of salvation and our confidence before God come, those things come from Christ's ability to save. It has nothing to do with us. Christ is able to save to the uttermost, totally, completely, forever, without fail. That's a good place for an amen. Totally, completely. Just sit back and think for a minute. If you had to keep yourself saved, what kind of confidence would you have? Well, let me tell you how good you are at that. None. And you're all better than me. None. Our confidence is that Jesus is a better high priest who can save to the uttermost. And notice what it says. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That answers the question of who is Jesus interceding for. Who are those that Jesus is interceding for right now. He's interceding for His children who have come to Him as Lord for forgiveness, for salvation, for reconciliation with the Father. Jesus is interceding for us as believers. That's point one. Jesus is able as our High Priest. Secondly, Jesus is always available as our High Priest. The other High Priests kept dying. They kept being replaced. Some of them had to be removed. But Jesus is always available as our high priest. Look, at, look there at verse 25 again. It says, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Why is he able to save to the uttermost? Since he always lives to make intercession for, him, for them. That's the reason. That's the cause. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to focus on the word always here. Since he always lives to make intercession, Jesus is presently, right now, Jesus is presently interceding for his people. What is Jesus doing now in heaven that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father? Right now, he is always living 
He's not dead. He's resurrected and ascended and reigning. Right now, he is living at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people. He is a present and active high priest. Right now, in real time, at this very moment, This means that the heart of Jesus is flowing through time presently, right now, for you and for me. Time has not diminished or weakened His love or compassion for you as His child. Not even a bit. Not even a smidgen. Sin has not diminished or weakened His love or compassion for you as His child. He always lives. Jesus doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take a break. He does not go off duty. He will not retire. He will not take a sabbatical. Right now, He is present and active, interceding for you. Now, we dare not be fooled. You dare not be fooled or misled to believe that Jesus' compassion, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' ministry as a high priest was limited to His earthly existence when He walked with His disciples. He is always living right now at this moment as our high priest. And what is he doing? He always lives to make intercession for them. Now, intercession, I've used that word several times. You might not know what it means. Intercession means to meet or transact on behalf of another. As our intercessor, Jesus represents us before the Father. He is our representative, our intercessor. He transacts with the Father on our behalf. Now, the New Testament also describes Jesus not only as our intercessor, but it says that He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is the go-between. Now, this is why the incarnation at Christmas is such a beautiful picture that God took on flesh and dwelt among us as Emmanuel. What does this have to do with our intercession? Well, here's what it has to do with it. As the incarnate Son of God, He is able to take hold of the Father because He shares deity. And He's able to take hold of us because He shares our humanity. And He can reconcile us together with the Father. He pleads with us. He is the only one who can rightly represent us before the Father. Something angels could never do because He does not share a nature with angels. But he shares a like nature with us, having become a man just like us. Listen to what the Bible says. This is 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. As our high priest, it is Jesus who brings us and reconciles us to the Father. The Bible says in 1 John 2, He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As our high priest, it is Jesus who bears away our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's our advocate. 1 Timothy 2 says, there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. As our high priest, Jesus stands in God's presence and says, I have paid that child's debt. They belong to me. I am the one who is mediating on their behalf. Now, 
we know who Jesus is interceding for. He's interceding for those who draw near to God through him. So now the question we have to ask is, what is Jesus interceding for? What is he interceding for? I mean, what is he asking the Father for on our behalf? And what we learn is that Jesus' intercession is what applies, what Jesus' intercession applies to us what his atonement accomplished. At Jesus' death, he said, it is finished. When Jesus dies hanging on the cross, he says, it is finished. His work of atoning for our sins was absolutely finished, absolutely done. So now he applies that work to us before the Father, moment by moment. Listen to how Paul connects Christ's finished work in the past with his present work of intercession. Listen to Romans 8. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Notice how Paul connects what Christ has done for us in the past. He died for us and was raised. And what is he doing now? He's interceding for, on our behalf. Now, as I conclude this morning, what I want to do is I want to summarize that, what I just said, those two main points, that he is able to save and he is interceding for us. And I want us to think about it in the present as children of God. So think about this. Jesus is able as our high priest to save. I want us to think about that just for a moment. He's able to save. He is able to save. Unlike all of the other high priests who failed personally themselves, who failed as our representatives and who died, Jesus never will. He never will fail. Our salvation rests on the power and ability of Jesus to save. As the, as the hymn, the Rock of Ages puts it, he says this in the hymn, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, my zeal for Christ, could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. Our only hope is Christ's ability to save. It has nothing to do with us. Jesus saves like the song we sang earlier. I want to tell you the story of Mel Trotter. I don't know if you've heard the story of Mel Trotter. Mel was born in 1870 in Orangeville, Illinois to an alcoholic bartending father and a Christian mother. Mel E. Trotter had little schooling. By age 19, he was drinking and gambling heavily. In 1891, he met and married Lottie Fisher. Sadly, Mel continued to drink and gamble that call, and caused his family to lack even the most basic necessities. The story goes on that as his wife tried to scrape by due to his drinking, their two-year-old son became gravely sick. Lottie gave Mel money to go to the pharmacy to buy the medicine that his son desperately needed. On the way to the pharmacy, Mel passed a couple of his drinking buddies who convinced him to go into the bar with them just for a few minutes. He used the money for his son's medicine to binge drink for ten days. When the money ran out, Mel stumbled home and found his two-year-old son dead in the front room. 
He promised his grief-stricken wife that he'd never drink again. But in less than two hours, he broke his vow. He broke his promise by taking the shoes off of his dead son to sell them to go on another binge drinking outing. Abandoning his family, Mel ended up homeless and suicidal in Chicago. On his way to drown himself, Mel was pulled inside the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And there, he heard the story of God's redemption of another alcoholic and cried out to Jesus for mercy and for salvation. And through Christ, Mel conquered his addiction. He found a new job, was reunited with his wife, and became active in the mission. And in January of 1900, he went with the mission superintendent to Grand Rapids. There, Mel became the superintendent of a new mission that still exists today at 95 Canal Street, the Mel Trotter Mission for Homeless. And what Mel would preach to everyone who entered that mission was this text that Jesus is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost because that was his testimony of what Christ had done in his life I've met far too many people that think they are beyond the power of Jesus to save that they are too far gone that their life is too much of a wreck that they've thrown it all away, that they've made one mistake too many, that they are too deep and dark in their sin, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus brings hope because He is able to save. There is no sin too deep or too dark that Jesus cannot heal and forgive. And listen, if we don't believe that, then we need to shut the doors. Our only hope is that Jesus is able to save. Listen, you don't have a friend and you don't have a family member that is beyond the reach of Jesus. Maybe the reason you aren't sharing the gospel with them is because you actually don't believe Jesus is able to save. Because if you really believe this, you would share this far and wide that Jesus saves. Secondly, as a believer, you need to rest in the promise that Jesus is ever-present and available. Ever-present and available. There is no time, hear me Christian, there is no time in your life where Jesus is not interceding for you. Where Jesus is not pleading before the Father on your behalf. Listen, Jesus' ongoing Ongoing intercession is the clearest demonstration of Christ's heart and compassion for His people. If you wonder, is Jesus mad at me? Is He angry? Is, am I too far gone? Have I, has He shunned me? Is he, is he gone away? Is He taken a break from me? This is where you go. He is always living to make intercession for you. Our deepest and darkest sins that we carry day by day do not dissuade Jesus in His role as high priest. In fact, they draw out His compassion more and more. Like a father who sits by the bed of a child with a horrible disease, the father hates the disease but loves the child. The disease does not change the father's love for his child. In the same way, Jesus hates the disease of sin that we all carry, but He 
only and always loves his children. Our sins and struggles don't cause him to run away. They don't awaken his wrath for us. Since Jesus has bore that to the end on the cross, now our sins and struggles only draw out his compassion for us all the more. He's present. He's available. So draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Christian, sin will lie to you and sin will cause you to flee from Jesus. But the truth of Jesus as our faithful high our faithful high priest, ever-present priest, always living priest, should shatter that lie and cause us instead to run to him because he's waiting with open arms to receive his children. If you repent and turn to him, he is waiting with arms open wide. So here's my question for you as we wrap up this morning. First, do you know Jesus? Has Have you felt the power of Him as as high priest to save your soul? Do you not know that He is able to save? Have you cried out to Jesus for mercy and pardon? You can do that today. He is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Secondly, if you're a believer and you're you're wandering, wavering, wallowing in sin, return. He is ever present, ever waiting, arms open wide to receive you. Repent. This morning we have a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you, answer. The book of Hebrews says over and over again, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this word has been encouraging and challenging to us. Father, may we think of Jesus and know Jesus in in his power as our high priest. Father, that right now he is interceding for us at this very moment. And because Jesus is praying for us, We know that he's able to save to the uttermost. So, Father, may we draw near to him now because his arms are open wide. We pray this in his name.